0: Welcome to Indie Dots, the podcast that shares the stories of independent creators. I'm your host, Susan Bond. Today on the show, I have Andy Kroll. He is a freelance CTO, a speaker, and a conference organizer. So I got the idea of having you on the show after I saw you speak at RubyConf.
1: Yes. I guess a few weeks ago. Yes, it was a few weeks ago,
0: yeah. (laughs) at At the time that we're recording this. And wow, what a tour de force. <laughs> I mean, do my hair back. It was really, really fantastic. And so I asked Andy to come and talk on the show. You know, usually on the show, we talk about very specific, like one project, right? You know we talked about sidekick with Mike Parham and uh, with Saranya Barak. We talked about creating Codeland. Today's episode is just slightly different. I want to talk a little bit about the notion of impermanence in software um and shutting down projects and failed ventures um, which covers some of the themes that andy talked about i think i'd love to start with the first time something failed or you had to shut it down i don't mean just like your first failure in life (laughs) <laughs> Our hmm. code. <laughs> we don't need to go that far back. But just like something where you fa- there was a failure or a venture just had to get shut down.
1: So probably the major one would be uh, I raised a bunch of money um, in Singapore to do a travel startup with a friend of mine um, called Impulse Flyer. Um, I don't know if you remember Jet Setter. It was yep. a uh, large, very big at one point, um, travel startup selling sort of like massively discounted hotel room nights at quite fancy places and it was invite only and all of that stuff it was from the guilt group which i think are still going somewhere but it was in that sort of massive discounting era that i think we feel like we've somewhat passed um, but you know there was the groupon and all of that stuff as well in in that similar sort of space um yeah and so we thought oh, that seems like a good idea and my friend steven had loads of uh, connections with hotels in southeast asia where we were um, and there's loads of nice places to go in Southeast Asia. Um, and we sort of built this thing, raised uh, US, um, 500K. 500 ish US. 500
0: k 500
1: k US, yeah. Um, I was
0: like, not $500. $500, 500,
1: $500 you know. that it would not go very far.
0: Um, <laughs> For dinner.
1: Yeah, yeah. This would be quite a nice dinner, but you know, just the one. Um, right. It was, yeah, and over a period of two or three years, we tried to make it work. Um, We were selling things for money, so actually we did have some months where we were profitable. But in travel, it's incredibly difficult to work unless you're at massive scale, and unless you can make uh, the Google Ads marketing work. So you're basically doing pay per click advertising, and we could never make the economics of it work in Southeast Asia. Um, And it turns out, were
0: targeting was it all was it all targeted towards South? You know. Towards Asia
1: travel or other all at world. Yeah, all, it was mo it was I mean, obviously anyone could buy, um, but most of our marketing was targeted locally because it was sort of weekend breaks. Um Yeah, got it. So it would be sort of like uh spend a weekend in Malaysia or spend a weekend in Bali. You know, these sound like good things to do to me. Um mm-hmm. so uh yeah, that was that was the main thing. Is it was it was for the local mar- the local area market, the regional market, I suppose. Um yeah, but we just could not make it work. And so um we tried, the, we tried the, uh, the the private members club sort of approach. That did not work, so we opened it up, and then we opened it up further, and then we had some was that good that, months. Was,
0: wait, was private members how you started?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's what Jet Setter were doing at the time. So it was very much a replication of a business model that we thought was succeeding elsewhere. I mean, it turns out Jet Setter failed massively, like, about a year into our into our startup. Right. So we're like, oh, maybe they didn't know what they were doing.
0: Right, <laughs> yeah yeah well right after we learn later so for folks who aren't familiar with it can you just tell us what that model looked like um if they're not familiar with that
1: model? in terms of the how the economics of it worked for us um, yeah
0: like what like the private like that you know inviting people into pri- something private were they paying for
1: membership were they, they weren't so it was very much a we would source uh audiences and market to them initially um and try and uh get them to join our site so similar audiences like banks we did a partnership with a bank we did a partnership with the Wall Street journal um and try and try and get those people on and then we would then market an email to those people every week with here are our three discount hotels this week like nice hotels but like you know slash massive discounts like 50 60 70 percent okay um yeah it was just a it turns out that turning away a bunch of your customers because you don't think they're a good fit is a really bad way of doing business um <laughs> which we worked out relatively quickly um but yeah it was just a, it was just a really tough business um and so i had some life changes so my wife was pregnant with twins um we were moving back to the uk towards the end of the business so i, st- I did the last nine months remotely but it, that that was completely feasible because you know we would got down to the bare bones of just me and Stephen, the other the other founder pretty much wow. um and one other person who's helping him out in singapore um and so we we'd got it down to like a very lean team and the product was there it was you know it was there enough you know you could put as many hotels on as you as you wanted and could try and sell them and it was just we never managed to make it work um, in terms of enough money coming in to support us on a regular basis
0: Right, right, yeah. So there weren't really sort of it was really like a business model kind of problem,
1: rather. Than, yeah, it wasn't I mean, a technical problem. No, the tech, the tech. You know, I, I was super happy with the tech. Um, <laughs> Yay! So some of my best work. Um, but yeah, no, the uh, the business model was we, you know, we we spoke with Google in Singapore. Like we tried to get them to help us with our, you know, with our marketing and standard travel ads, but it just wasn't obviously a compelling thing for that market. Um, and, you know, it wasn't, it turns out a compelling thing for the U.S. market with the jet set of stuff either. So just one of those business models that looked like it might work and turns out just did not.
0: Yeah. Well, can we talk a little bit about what the the shutting down process was like? Like, I'm curious about, you know, when, when you knew and then the, pro- like how you had to go through that, because I'm sure there are people out there right now who are going, huh, I'm not sure if this is working, you know, you know, and they're really curious about, well, do you keep it limping along? Do you shut it down totally? What do we do with the code? All those kinds of things. And that's what I'm curious about.
1: So for us, um, I worked it out a long time before Stephen did. Um, yeah. Stephen was, it was very much his, his baby, his idea. Um, so I left and gave some support to him but not like full-time. I couldn't afford to bring up my kids on the salaries we were taking. Um, So I had to go out and I started contracting, but I was still supporting him, you know, a few days a month. Um, And he kept it going for, so I moved back to the UK and after about nine months I stopped working on it full-time. And then he kept going for like another, I want to say a year. Hmm. Um, He tried out an entirely different idea in the last six months just with sort of like a Hail Mary uh, right. pass at the end of the day. But um, yeah, so I, I did some support. And in the end, it took a hell of a long time to shut down because these VC funded companies are quite complex. Um, yeah. In terms of like, as soon as you get involved with sort of that sort of money, there's lots of contracts. And we were in Singapore at the time, the government was also involved in helping the startups get involved. So there was government involvement as well. So when we actually shut it down, there was like a period of uh, another 18 months where we're still signing bits of paper to say, look, this thing's not worth thing, wow. um, but that's, 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 that's just, bu- yeah, it's just bureaucracy more than anything. You know, no one was really interested in it. It was just, it had to go to the right committee. And
0: if you took a little bit of venture money, what do you, what's the overview process of how to shut that down with, from venture? Like what, what did you have to do?
1: Well, it's funny because the, the venture capitalists lose interest much, a uh, much earlier time than uh, coming to the shutting down of the company. Right, they, they're like... Because oh, okay. like, these, these guys are already done, so... <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, they're like, okay, yeah, that ship sailed. Okay, yeah. onto the next?
1: Onto the next, yeah.
0: So is it more like informing them or is there like any sort of, like I'm just trying to figure out like really tactical things like contracts or anything like that or selling off parts? I don't even know. I'm making things up. I've never done this. Yeah, I mean, (laughs)
1: we, we did sell off the, we ended up selling on the code for the website and the mailing list to someone who said they wanted to take it on and try and make it work on a sort of a more standard business basis rather than a VC-backed business. So they're not looking for super growth. They were looking to sort of run a, almost a travel agency, um, which I think there's probably a world in which that could work. Um, and when I, you
0: sold it, did you have to did the vcs have to know do you know what i mean was there like- They were sort
1: of involved like they they sort of had to rubber stamp it but at that point we were merely just um, trying to reclaim some money so that we you know we could once everything was sold off that whatever was left is distributed amongst the shareholders you know and it's not yeah got we it. raised 500k us we made a bunch of money whilst we did it obviously we paid salaries and stuff but once the decisions made to shut it down then you're like well at some point there might be either money or debts in the business and you want to shut it down with a little bit of money so then you just redistribute you know a few hundred bucks here and there but it has to be done it's just a bureaucratic pain in the ass right well and i know this
0: is like probably really detailed but i'm i'm sure there are people who are like me curious about how that works they've never done that and it might help someone like do you think are you glad you took the the vc money even though it you eventually shut it down
1: i think for that company It's the, if you're going to do like a mass market travel company, I think it's almost impossible to do it without injections of huge amounts of cash because you have to spend it on Google effectively. Um, I am not a fan of the behavior that that engenders in companies and people inside companies. Um, I would resist very strongly taking VC money at such an early stage in any venture that I think I did in the future. Mm. Um, it just changes the way it changes the expectations of your company. There's not much room for maneuver. Um, you really have to grow because that's what they're buying. They're not giving you money for nothing, they're giving you money so that you go massive or you, you indeed do as we did, which was go home.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, you know, in indie notes, we, we talk to a lot of folks. Most of our folks are really indie, right? Yeah. Indies. They might work for somebody else or they work for themselves. Mm-hmm. But the indie is more that often they don't take venture money, though sometimes they might take a, a bit like you, you did. Mm-hmm. Um, so th- that makes a ton of sense. So you wouldn't do that maybe in the future unless you did something huge, like where the, in this case where you needed to.
1: Yeah, I, my taste in businesses personally is such that I would probably not start anything that needed it. Um, I think there's a case for taking it much later on. If that's yeah. the sort of business you want to grow. I mean, there's very much a decision point once you know you're you're better off growing with profits and proof of customers liking your thing, whatever your thing might be, um, and taking money then to actually by that point you'll know how to spend it. Um, and you'll be able to cover the costs of the people who are working there already. So that's that's a time when I might consider it. Like that but that's capital. That's not VC in the startup world sense. That's you could get that from a bank, you could get that from a loan, you could get that from institutional money, like there's entirely different ways to grow a business with money, um, that aren't what you traditionally hear as of the startup world. Right. Um, There's
0: like a, you know, a a whole meme about it, right? You know, that all looks like, got it. I think that makes a lot of sense. It's just, you know,
1: that you're nine in the best VC funds in the world. Nine out of 10 of them fail. And that, that seems like an awful waste of life for the people in those mm -hmm. nine of 10.
0: Are you glad you did it?
1: Yeah, I think that that particular startup I learned a bunch of stuff. Um, it helped inform some of the ways that I think about building software um, oh, okay. because we because we did okay. it Let's in such a small over, team. Yeah.
0: Let's not gloss over that. Tell yeah. me more about because right my podcast is full of uh nerdy folks who love details on on technical <laughs> most most of them are technical right um not though not all so how did it inform the way that you build software now what did you learn
1: so i built there were two or three things that we did at impulse that i'm really proud of so one of them was um was uh, responsive email which is like basically standard now but at the time really wasn't um i ended up writing a book about responsive email um for my sins when
0: was this when was the- <laughs> sorry when were you building this what so this think?
1: would have been like 2009 2010 2011. That's no 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 life. no probably a little bit later than that but yeah around that time
0: okay got it okay so um, then you wrote a book about responsive email
1: yeah um mm-hmm. so you know i'd written two, a 2000 word blog post about how we were doing email because it was just the the rise of the smartphone and smartphones are huge were huge in southeast asia um particularly in our sort of affluent markets we were after um, so we needed email to work on their phones because email wasn't brilliant on phones back in those days. So that was one of the things that we did. Um, so I was super proud of how we attacked that problem. Um, we attacked the problem of uh, having a an admin interface that the business could use. So we had two, we had a main Rails app, which was the thing that did all the sales and stuff um, for the customer facing things like, you know, your logins, your... Credit card integrations and stuff, which right. was incredibly incredibly hard in Singapore at the time. We didn't have Stripe. Um, oh yeah, that I, was
0: really such a change.
1: I, I I I bear the scars of that particular implementation. Well, um, and, oh my gosh. <laughs> and uh, and yeah we had we we I built an uh, an API to talk to another Rails app so that the the people on the business side of the of the company that sort of would be able to onboard hotels very quickly and write about them and upload photos and things like that, um, in a way that. A developer who was less understanding of the business operation might just give you like an interface to a bunch of tables. Um, Got it. So, and I built that with an API that I knew I would reuse for the iPhone app that we eventually built as well. So, like, I was building things that I needed in the knowledge that I was going to need them again for something else later. So it's a case of like making sure that the things that you're building are useful on an ongoing basis. Um, I also used quite boring, you know, I used just Rails technology, standard Ruby on Rails application, as boring as I could, uh, because boring technology is what gets businesses done in the world. Um, so, like, no no new, you know, by that point, Rails was five years old, so, like, it was settling down, um, and it proved to be a great, it's a great choice for a bunch of those kinds of, you know, filling out forms on the internet type apps, so
0: talked with some folks on the show about um, their d- decisions to build something and they built it based on like oh this is a really cool software that we th- you know piece of technology yeah. that we think could do something and ultimately the customers didn't care yeah I've, <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I have no interest in
1: I'm, I'm a terrible terrible engineer cuz I have no interest in the new and shiny I'm like ah oh, give me predictability
0: <laughs> yeah well I mean there's something about when you want if you're trying to really build something I mean, I think that there's lots of great reasons to play with new technology and innovation. Mm. And sometimes when you really want to build something for a business purpose, and I do think those could be different sometimes, right? Mm. If you really want to build a, a sustainable business for a business purpose, uh, you, I think, you know, sh- new and shiny could potentially be a liability. I'm not saying you have to ignore it altogether, but right, like the relia- old reliable might actually be what you need.
1: Yeah, I think that's true in, in many cases. And also it's another case of my personal taste. Like I sort of worked mm-hmm. out that I like to build useful things that people will actually use. So that sort of has steered me post that away from the VC world and also away from like, we have this new technology that's enabled us to do this new amazing thing. And I'm like, "Eh, there are people still using spreadsheets for something over here. I could help their lives. (laughs) Mm. So yeah.
0: So did, was that, the idea that you wanted to build things that are are really useful, mm-hmm. was that a new insight for you after Impulse Flyer, or was that something you had already become aware of yourself as a technologist?
1: I think I was aware of it. I wasn't able to articulate it without having gone through that particular experience of uh, having VCs who you would have a meeting with the VC and you would say, well, we're struggling with this business problem. We're struggling with you know, user acquisition or we're struggling with conversion. And their their answer was, had you tried making it viral? And I was like, that's not an answer. That's a buzzword. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Like, that's that's not a, make it viral, make it viral. I was like, that, okay. (laughs) Like, it's a really good offer, and people get loads of money off. That seems like that might be viral-ish. There wasn't like a lot of, I didn't feel like they brought a lot other than money. Um, Mm. And I'm sure there are cases where there are really helpful people, and I'm sure it's different in San Francisco where, you know, it's an entirely different world. Um, But, like, in the rest of the world where there isn't, you know, you don't meet three startups in the queue at the coffee shop, I think it's a... I just really struggle with that sort of superfluous use of money. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm coming across quite puritanical now. Um, (laughs) But, yeah, I, I just much prefer using technology to actually solve problems like even if they might seem a bit boring like there's enough detail in almost every business problem that you can find some amazing ways to make it better if you've got half a brain in coding so
0: mm. yeah i i think i, I think you bring up a lot of themes that i i see folks sort of you see talked about a, a lot mm. right you know usefulness versus shiny new thing mm. and i think I, I i think both are great right that both could be useful yep Uh, depending on what you're wanting to do. I mean, I think there's a lot about shiny new toys that can help you learn and do innovative things or level up skills, right?
1: Or get you to think about your existing tools in an entirely different way. So yeah, I think that's... um, There's definitely something to be said for the new and shiny. Um, I also am the parent of small children, so having plenty of time to try out the new and shiny, it's also just as well that I'm (laughs) slightly disinterested in it at this point in my career. Um, I feel like there's loads of stuff I can do to help people with apps that really solve problems to get better at delivering the, the solutions they're trying to do. So
0: And so when you walked away from that, I'm curious about, because it was your partner's idea, mm-hmm. did you feel any sense of, hold on, we're about to go emotional. Did you feel any sense of failure or... You know what I mean? Like, was there any, like, emotional, like, sadness or, or sort of feelings about having to shut this bit, this venture down?
1: Um, there was. I do feel that the fact that it wasn't my thing somewhat isolated me from it. Mm. I know that Stephen had a much harder time, um, A, stopping, um, and and B, sort of, like, post it, I suppose. Um, I, I sort of had the the focusing function of, small children to go right now you need to go and get a job so i did kind of i did kind of plow straight into contracting work at the time um but yeah so i I felt bad about it like i felt but i did feel like we gave it our best shot i don't feel like Hmm. we messed it up i feel like i was able to throughout the process of it like it not working over the period of two years and us trying all the sensible things um and being sort of grown-ups about it i think we did our best at trying to execute that business model. It just turns out it was the wrong time or we were the wrong people or it just wasn't ever gonna work for anyone. Um, so yeah, I I felt bad, but I was able to intellectually know that we'd done probably the best job at that thing that we could have done. Yeah. I'm still, ple- I'm still pleased with the work. I'm pleased with the people that I work with. You know, that, those were the highlights really. Um, The end result was, yeah, we spent three years, I didn't, I was also very careful not to make myself super impoverished by Ah. doing a startup, which is the other part of that Faustian bargain, Faustian bargain? Faustian bargain. (laughs) The other part of that Faustian bargain you make when you take VC money is you're meant to impoverish yourself so that they can get rich. Mm, If you're in that, if you're in that 5%, which I just don't agree with. Like they are renting your skills as much as any employer would. Um, So I think you are entitled to take a reasonable salary.
0: Well, right. I mean, you bring up a really good point that sometimes when we're shutting something down or when it fails, there can be a lot of emotional load factor in there. If we've just given everything and we are impoverished both mentally, financially, physically, emotionally, those things can happen and they can really have a huge, they can take a huge toll on you.
1: Well, I was certainly physically impoverished, but I did have nine month old twins at the time. So that was likely to happen anyway. That wasn't necessarily the startup's <laughs> fault.
0: Right, right. But you didn't, you weren't fi- financially, you had not put yourself in a situation that was, would make you, uh, you know, unrecoverable or resentful.
1: No. And also my other half, Joe, she'd worked, you know, she'd worked up until the point where she had the kids. She was on her maternity leave. So, you know, we, we you know, we hadn't. We were a two-income family as well. Like, we right. we collectively took a bit of a punt on this startup um, to see if it would work. Um, and it didn't. But, like, we knew what we were doing at the start.
0: I like that. I love this, like, collectively took a punt, right? Like, yeah. Yeah, we could talk about partners a lot, but there's, there's so <laughs> many things I could talk about, like partners and ventures. But I actually want to go to... I want to go back to something that we kind of touched on briefly. Mm-hmm. So... When you went into Impulse Flyer, you know, did you think, was there a part of your head that said, okay, at some point, I'm going to probably have to shut this down? Or had you thought at all about like, what happens? You know what I mean? If it fails, was that something that was at all in your consciousness?
1: No, I don't think at the start, you're thinking, right, what happens if this fails? Like, you don't, you don't go if you, yeah, I mean, you think, (laughs) you, 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 you go in full of enthusiasm going, yeah, this might actually, this is not a stupid idea like well this might actually work <laughs> okay. um and then you build it and you go well the, the software works I wonder if this will work I wonder if they will come and they did not come in sufficient numbers to make it viable but yeah no you, you don't go in thinking
0: well right you know why I'm asking right like I think yeah. a lot of us don't so you know I, again I just want to one last time you know I keep going to this because I'm really fascinated with you don't, you go in excited and bright eyed and you're so cool. What can, what can we create in this world, in the world? Yeah. And, th- and then you got to shut down. Was there, do you feel like you, now when you go into projects, do you, are you aware of it a little bit more or no? Are you still like, yay, this is totally going to work?
1: Um, hmm. It's interesting because the company I joined post, um, impulse flyer after a bit of contracting, um, was also a, was a. Start a later stage startup also in travel on, and in free fall financially, so that was an, another lesson in how to shut something down. Um, yeah, so, let, yeah, yeah so, talk about it. yeah, so I do join the product I joined after that was a company called House Trip, which is which was finally acquired by TripAdvisor but was very much um, the Airbnb of Europe for a number of years. Um, I joined it post all of their raising money, so they'd raised like a bunch of money like eventually about 30 million pounds or something like that like crazy money they had a massive they had a massive team and all that stuff um yeah and it transpired sort of six months after I joined that we had to fire a lot of people because we weren't going to be able to raise any more money um so yeah like I was unsurprised I suppose by Mm. that happening um I didn't know when I joined it wasn't on the up that was certainly the message that we all received that there was a few of us who joined around a similar time they were hiring pretty hard um at that point and um yeah it was you sort of get as you get a bit older and you've worked in various companies you start to get a bit of a sixth sense for this stuff like you sort of like notice that things aren't quite going how they should be um Mm -hmm. so you're sort of more prepared um when they do go bad you know when things do go bad people generally behave pretty well like you know we did make half the engineering team over half the engineering team redundant but like people were treated with respect and they were given you know their redundancy if they had earned it by being at the company long enough and they were given their notice they just said just don't come back in like here's your here's your note you know this i don't know how it works in the us but in the uk like effectively paid people's notice so they can go and get other jobs and then they used the network within, because they'd raised a bunch of money from VCs in the UK, and they used that VC network to try and place people as well. So, um, yeah, I mean...
0: Well, so how was it? You, so you made it through that round? Yeah, I did, yeah. You made it through that round? I'm
1: super great. Why would you fire me?
0: <laughs> I mean, of course. I'm not shocked at all that you were not fired. <laughs> Just making sure. Yeah. Well, so, so you stuck around, and, and so again, I'm I'm sort of curious, were there any, so there's a lot of like business model issues, but were there any sort of, you know, tech issues in, you know what I mean, or challenge? Oh, in
1: that one, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, that, that particular technology, the app that they had built was a huge m- monstrosity of mm. like too many hands over too many years without understanding the domain properly. Yeah, it was it was a complete mess. Um, and that was impacting them somewhat. Mm. But equally, they had got to the point where someone was willing to give them tens of millions of pounds to keep doing what they were doing. So, mm. you know, you could argue that it did the job that it was meant to do.
0: Right. And so ultimately, it did not shut, it shut down because of business model issues. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, we okay,
1: did also spend the next two years after those redundancies... Spending a lot of time making the app better, Um, and that was that was one of the things that I was one of the lead. The things that I led on was improving the quality of that app. Um, Spending time, you know, refactoring and getting things, getting things called the right things, so that we, you know, the stuff in the code was the same as what the business called it, and things like that. So, yeah, I mean, there was a bunch of that work, as well as sort of improving conversion and stuff like that, like standard e-commerce stuff. Um, But yeah, so it wasn't the technology that undid them. Of course. I mean, it really is, It really is.
0: It really isn't. But I do, I like to, I like to tease these things out. So when you you spent all that time. Yeah. Rebuilding it and then the company shuts down. Yeah. Like uh, how, uh, you know, how did you feel about that? Like, did you feel like those two years were worthwhile? Do you know what I mean?
1: Yeah. I mean, I really sharpened my tools in those two years in terms of Hmm. refactoring, existing code bases. And that is where I like to work. I like to work in other people's what other people would go, oh god, can't we just write it again from scratch? And I'd be like, no, 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 no. Let's let's save the patient. Um,
0: <laughs> save the patient.
1: Yeah, so like, I, I kind of, that's where I like to work. I like to look at the history of the code and I sort of think of it as like archaeology. Um, mm. You sort of go, you know, no one makes bad code on purpose. So why was this decision made? Or how have we lived with this for so long we can make a quick fix to do this so, you know trying to establish the things that you can change and the things that you can't i just find the the historical and engineering challenge of sort of changing the changing the wheels on the moving car or you know all of that all of those metaphors for difficult things um so yeah like I, I i sharpen my tools the the particular app that i was working on yeah is gone but like the, the the skills that I honed in that period have become super useful in like the the last eighteen months of you know doing the the freelance CTO thing. Certainly. Well, yeah,
0: and so when you um, before that, did did you know that you really loved refactoring before that? Would you have considered that that was something you know changing, so to speak, changing the wheels on the moving car?
1: I don't think I necessarily would have realized I enjoyed it as much as I did. Um, I'd never seen a code base like that before. (laughs) (laughs) So it it, it really was quite a special, special thing. Um, Yeah, I I hadn't really twigged that it was something that I was super into, but now I am reluctant to take on Greenfield projects. Um, I'll I'll do them, and I have done them, um, but my preference is to work in something real and slightly broken that's making money because that seems like a sensible use of my time.
0: Well it's interesting because you know lo- you know you hear lots of people who only want to work on greenfield Every- yeah. it seems like everybody wants to work on Greenfield. I'm not mm. saying that, that that's true but it just seems that way right you it, know? it
1: feels it feels easy it feels cleaner it feels easier it feels like you can take all of the things that you've learned and apply them and this time it'll be different mm. but it never is so <laughs> so may as well get used to playing in the mud. <laughs>
0: Well, did you you know that idea of like this time it'll be different you know like but actually it's not different right we were just speaking about greenfield projects yeah
1: i think we there was some greenfield work that we did as part you know it was a large enough app that we broke bits off and tried to write greenfield things and, and in fact one of the solutions to some of the bad areas of the code base was to rewrite them inside the same code base and then switch them over um but yeah it wasn't ever about it was more about doing it properly, and I think that's probably my mm. technological uh, preference, and also probably Achilles' heel, because um, I like to do things properly, <laughs> or at least what I consider to be properly.
0: Right. And what, <laughs> and what, how, okay. Tell me how it's an Achilles' heel. Let's just... I
1: think I think it can stop me. I, I see. I'm the team I'm working with at the moment. Um, we have a, uh, an ongoing profitable uh, software as a service app for the PR industry called Coverage Book. Um, and we're doing some work on iterating on new ideas and i am somewhat of a breaking function in that team mm. because i tend to be the okay like let's just let's do this properly if we're going to actually ship this um and i think other people in the team are more inclined to prototyping um my friend uh, sarah may has a sort of yep. theory about this stuff which is um people are happier at different points in the cycle of a technology code base. Um, So people are either happy right at the beginning when they're making a new thing and it's like you're producing something from nothing and it's like you're just building out a city. Um, And there are people who are happy when there are thousands of people working on one app and there's lots of process and it's a little bit stodgy but they're the perfect people for that, and there's lots of QA, and it's very, very much an existing business. And I'm sort of happy it's somewhere in between those two things. Mm. Um, and I think there are you need people in your team who are good at all of those things, but it might be that you give them different work to do based on the strengths and their particular tastes. Right. So, and I just think, I find that to be a brilliant. I find most things that Sarah says to be brilliant, but I find that to be a I find that I find that to be a brilliant way of thinking about what people in your team are good at, and what I'm good at, yeah. um, and where they're happiest. Like, if you put someone who loves Greenfield projects and building something from nothing in a week, or over a weekend, if you put them in somewhere and going, right, well, now you have to use Jira, and you need to get a change request approved, and then you need to work with the design team for a week, and then you can ship this four-line change, and it goes into production in two weeks, like, that's going to drive them completely insane. Right, Equally, Equally, if you give somebody who is used to that more stable and I would say slow-moving environment and you say uh, we need you to knock something up over the weekend they can be like I'm sorry what or we need you to knock something up for we've got the thing in two weeks can you do a prototype and they'll be like a proto what Um, and it's not you know it's not it's not a detriment to either of those people but it's of how you think about it right
0: well right because I do think that people like different things right that like I was saying there's like this idea that everyone loves greenfield i actually think there's a lot of people who don't Mm. and and i'm really fascinated that you discovered what you're really good at in the process of you know this two year trying to save this thing that ultimately went down right <laughs> like trying to improve something that went down i'm sorry to, you it's, know. no it's all
1: right No, we uh I, I often describe it as a sort of we crashed the airplane into the runway rather than into the sea miles away from the airport right,
0: right, like, right, we, right like we all
1: got there and the company got acquired and then we all got to go down the slides so it was nice right
0: right right you got yeah. the slide I yeah mean, exactly kind of like, yeah. yeah yeah rather than like a sea a sea, sea you know, rescue yeah. Pneumonia. Yeah. yeah yeah totally I, I, I just love that idea because I do think there are some thoughts out there that you have to take VC money or mm. you have to work on Greenfield or you mm. have to have a startup or you ha- it has to be the most, you know, crazy idea, you know, new idea that you never heard of. So disruptive, you know, yeah. it's going to disrupt water. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> um, right.
1: No, no, no. I'm sure there's a startup that's trying to disrupt water. That's fine.
0: Right, right. There probably is our air. <laughs> it heir, right? d- d- does not
1: thrill me, but okay, sure.
0: <laughs> right, but I think there's this idea. I think some t- some of us we get into this sense where we ha- we think we have to do one thing, when in fact there are so many different things, and it really plays. Mm. What you and Sarah are, are both saying in there, and we'll make sure to get that a deeper place where Sarah's maybe said that and linked mm. to it, so folks can, because I think she's wise too. Um, You know, it's just that this idea that there's lots of different things, and that you—I love that you found that out while you were closing something down, yeah. Right where you were, or trying to save, you know, in rescuing it, you discovered. Oh, actually, I I like this because most people, I would think, here's my here's my suspicion that most of us think shutting something down would be horribly depressing and awful, Mm. and yet I don't hear that from you.
1: No, I don't consider. Right. Some things have a natural end. Well, all of us have a natural end. Right. Um, but yeah, so it, it's just a fact of what we do, right? Like, I mean, I, I, in the, the talk that you referenced at the beginning, like I talk about even in your own code base, even in your current live thing that is exciting, you're still rewriting bits of it. Like, you're still discarding the work you did yesterday. You're still going, oh, I didn't do a very good job of explaining how that works. Um, I should do a better job. Like, it's all iteration. And sometimes the iterations just stop. And that's okay too. Because... In a more macro level, like, your next iteration is your next job. So you go off and you find the next thing. Um Yeah, I, I don't... I just don't find... I get a lot of pleasure out of um, the mechanics of my work. Like, I, I enjoy mm-hmm. the, 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 the mechanical process of refactoring and trying to understand what the person who doesn't understand technology is saying they need to do and then finding out a way to explain that in code so that the person who doesn't understand on my team who doesn't understand the business can encode it and make the computer do what we want it to do. (laughs) Just Mm. basically what I do every day.
0: (laughs) I really believe that we're meant, like, we need to figure out what we're meant to do not Mm. like it doesn't have to be big or purposeful or mission but i just mean what is the thing that makes you most fascinated and happy yeah right you know like and because there's also this thing in software that everyone has to be a manager i was just speaking Mm. with someone today about that i don't think everybody has to want to be a manager some people want to just stick their head in the code
1: also some people are terrible at it and it's much better to not be a manager than to be a terrible one
0: Please, right. <laughs> but and, you
1: know, and it totally—it's definitely a skill that can be learned. But you know, you may not like it.
0: Right, right, right. Which is exactly what I was talking with someone today about. Which is, they absolutely can do management, but but what they really prefer to do is stick their head in into code and. Learn it's a
1: difficult something. problem, and trying to wrap their brain around right. it. Yeah, I completely understand. Right,
0: right. Uh, I love these conversations because I have no idea that we were going to talk about this. But um, <laughs> I never know what we're going to talk about. So it's fantastic that we went to that, that direction. <laughs> but I want to kind of go back to House Trip is, you know, the airplane is...
1: It's part of, of TripAdvisor now, but yes.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, well, House Trip at the time was going down and, mm-hmm. you know, about to land on the tarmac. And, yeah. you know, the slides are about to pop out. Mm-hmm. Did you do anything different? Uh, this might be a dumb question, but did you do anything different when you saw that it was about to close, like around the code at all? Did that change anything that you did when you saw what was going on? I, I near
1: think the end? Near, I mean, near the end, no, not really. Like right okay. up until the deal was done because we didn't know the deal was going to get done. Like we, knew th- yep. we in the engineering and product team knew that they were trying to sell the company, but we didn't know the details. So our best bet was still to make this thing work better at selling people their spare rooms or their holiday properties or, you know, it was, we were still trying to solve that job better for us. Um, So improving, uh, improving conversion rates between different pages, improving conversion rates overall, uh, making pages load faster, you know, we were doing all of the sensible engineering things, but we were also very focused that there wasn't much room for, because we knew we were somewhat in trouble, there wasn't much room for superfluous work. Got it. Um, so really it was focused. it was it was very like that was the biggest thing that changed when uh, when the redundancies happened was the renewed focus on okay we just need to get better at making money at this thing that is a good thing. You know, it's yeah. it's it's not it's not money for the sake of money. It's this business is a useful thing for people. People and there are people who love this business and there are people employed by this business who pay their who pay their mortgage with their with their salary and feed their children. Right. So we should try and keep this business alive. Um, right so
0: i'm curious about that renewed focus though did that mean i want to talk in practical terms did that mean preparing back new features no or, actually okay yeah yeah so can you tell me more about what that like what that renewed focus meant from a technological
1: perspective so it wasn't about uh, it was about I, this the uh the cliche would be more wood and fewer arrows um mm. so yeah we would pick focus areas for three months and then focus on that part of the funnel or t- or we'd do two projects but like there were only 10 12 engineers and designers um and so we would pick one two or three projects for a sort of three month period and focus on improving those particular parts of the experience Got it. so you know we might uh we focus on landing pages and then improving the search experience or making the search experience faster and then we'd also uh add new features so you could sort of you could you could book instantly, you could pay deposits, you could do 50% now, 50% later, like all sorts of like conversion optimization things. Like Mm -hmm. if we do this, will enough people pay up front and then pay again? And will they pay earlier? All all these sort of like quite statistical things, but to keep the business, keep the cash flow of the business healthy.
0: So what were the kind of superfluous things that went to the wayside?
1: Also when I joined the company, I ended up on a team of four rebuilding MailChimp when Uh, Mailchimp exists um, and does a really good job of sending email. Like that that
0: was a superfluous thing.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's totally like there were, the organization was big enough that it was slightly out of control. Mm. And I think also there was, there was less management as well, actually, and the management consolidated. um, So there were less people sort of trying to run their projects. It wasn't, by no means this was a big organisation, this was still only like 25 engineers, like six, seven designers, six or seven project managers and, you know, a layer of management above that who were sort of the board level management. But there was still enough room there for there to be lots of, oh, we should do this. Yeah, that sounds great. There was enough room for people to be doing their own thing and not necessarily pushing the business in the same direction. It was just sort of, it it felt like it was... um, like it was sort of, it's, it was like, it was like a splat, you know, it kind of, it was out in all directions rather than all being funneled in one direction. And I just feel like that was, that was the biggest difference. Like we really, the difference in the main core product between the bigger team and the half size team, less than half size team was the speed at which we were able to change it, Mm. which is, is non-intuitive. I would think right. it
0: seems counterintuitive to many people, right?
1: Yeah. You think
0: more people go faster.
1: I mean, there's, you know, there there are, that's, that's the instinctive thing. I mean, there's lots of sort of literature about how that doesn't, that doesn't ring true. Like, you know, the mythical man month and things like that. But intuitively you think, we think in terms of factories, um, but software engineering isn't like that.
0: Mm Mm-mm. No, for sure, but I do think there are still some folks who might think that way, and perhaps maybe well, and also it's the business side. I don't
1: know. Yeah, it's also it's ego, right? Like there's yeah. an ego to having a big team. Like that's one of the one of my sort of red lights when I speak to someone, and you know, I, I, you know, I might ask about their business or you know what their plans are, and their immediate response is say, oh, we will double the team next year." I'm like, huh, that's very inward focused. Like that's not. We'll ship these things next year. That's we're going to grow our we're going to grow the number of human beings I can see, which always feels like a strange way to look at the world. Like mm. the, the 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 current again I'm going to talk about the uh, coverage book, but it's a team of seven. Um, mm. and it's very profitable, and yeah, you know, other companies say like Basecamp, you know, they they have a product team of about fifteen or sixteen, like most of their organization is support but you know they're one of the most profitable per employee companies i would think in the world but they don't say we're going to grow our team they say we're going to ship this new version of Basecamp or you know that kind of thing like it feels like the focus should be on solving a customer problem or problems you know if it's not a customer then people's problems but you don't solve them by getting a big team you you actually give yourself headaches i think
0: Mm, this is so Oh, my gosh, I could talk about this for
1: hours. (laughs) You've you've, you've only booked me for like an hour, so we'll have to... I I
0: know, i got to chop chop here. House trip goes to Mm TripAdvisor. And then, you know, is that, what you know, did you then go be, you know, freelance CTO? Was that the next move or did you do something else in between? Uh,
1: No, that was, so that was what I did next. Um, I had a short-lived stint at another startup, which didn't go super well. Didn't last very long there, um, yeah. and then then I've um, mostly been working with coverage books since then. Like this house trip only finished a couple of years back for me. Yep. I think it, it it sort of carried on for a couple of people, like sort of who turned the lights off as they left. Um, so you have on our... one
0: client right now as a freelance CTO. You have one main client.
1: Uh yes, I have one main client and a couple of smaller ones. Uh, where actually one of them is a greenfield app that I built and continue to support. Um, but yeah, my main my main client is um is a coverage book, and I do a bit of the, the conference organizing and the, and the speaking on the side.
0: Ah, got it. And so, would you join a team again, right? Like, you know, w- would you go back to that? I mean, I'm just kind of curious.
1: I mean, I sort of get most of what I like about being in a team from the team I'm working mm. with right now. Like, and fingers crossed, it looks like it's going to continue for a bit. Like, it's an, it's an ongoing rolling contract. Like, I'm not there to do a certain job and right. ship my code and leave. I'm there as a coach for the other guys who are there and to help them with the architecture and help them understand, you know, the next stage of what they're building. Um, so yeah, it, I get a lot of the things that I like about my work from that particular client. If it went away, I don't know what I would do next, honestly. Um, I guess I could you know I've got no idea this is now you now you've troubled me I'm so sorry <laughs> what if it ends what if it ends um, well right we're, cause we're talking a lot about endings and I'm just sort of curious of, You
0: know, I was just like, like uh, you know did that was that part of it you didn't want things you know or is it just sort of the evolution of things do you just you know
1: I just was ready to try my own stuff like I do have a hmm. a wider vision of like building some sort of software business in the future um but I've realised that the one thing that I do do well is the is the conference stuff, and um, and I've got a couple of other things that I do. I write a, a newsletter every two weeks, that, um, send a little bit of Ruby code out to developers, and suggest like one one Ruby thing they can do for their app. Um, so I I have that, and I'm sort of I guess it's sort of an audience building thing for the conference. You know, one will feed the other, or you know, if I wanted to write a book, I might do that. Who knows? But it's just. just I don't know so I'm leaving my options open I guess is the answer. Yeah,
0: um, good good for you. <laughs> I mean I think it's sometimes you know we need to advice is hard right because there's <laughs> so much context missing yes. you know but like any like the top few things you've learned in shutting projects down that might stand out to you.
1: So I guess the main thing that I've learned is treating the people involved with respect. Hmm. Um like when a company shuts down or if there's a redundancy thing, like it doesn't mean that anyone has anyone individual has been at fault. Um, So, you know, you've got to be, and you never know when those people might turn up again in your career. So like, it's good to treat everyone involved with as much respect as you possibly can. Um, Even if that respect is, we don't, you know, even in the case of say a badly performing employee or something or someone who just isn't a good fit, like the most respectful thing is to cut it short. And say, look, this isn't working out. Um, you seem like a good person, but the you know, it's not working here. Here's here's some money. Good luck. That okay. that you know, and I think you can take that approach with the business as well. Like you wanna treat your customers if you have some still at, with respect. Mm. Um, I think it comes down to the people at the end of the day, because like nothing we build will last forever. So, <laughs> so cheery finish. Um,
0: <laughs> Yay, not, we're not, yeah, n- n- yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> we're all gonna die. Yeah, nothing
1: we Yeah, yeah, exactly. We're all gonna die as your code. So let's um, like treat treat the people with respect as you go, right? I think that's. Yeah. You know, we're all sort of like lots of things get abandoned, like in software. So it seems to be more the rule than the exception. So. You don't need to prepare for it. You just need to behave well when you have to deal with it, I think.
0: I, I really like what you're saying about that. I mean, I think that there... I guess I wonder if there are people who... You know, people... We, why, do we, why, why do software developers do what they do? Why do people, creative people, do what they do? They want to build something or create mm. something, right? And sometimes... Inside there is an unspoken desire for legacy, mm. right? Or something to last. Yeah. And I, so I think for some, the fact that we're talking about, you know, we're all going to die and so is your code. I mean, we're being <laughs> tongue in Sorry, everyone. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're happy people over here. Um. Uh, I talk about death all the time so my partner's like can we just not talk about it before 10 in the morning I'm yeah. like okay sure we'll
1: Co- we- coffee first then death <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah can I get my breakfast sandwich and then we can talk about death um but but I think that, that I that notion that your code is going to die or be scrapped might be novel for some mm. you know or it might be a, a a sobering thought
1: yeah I mean no, not novel for me but yeah no I think yeah absolutely like I thought that that's what I was doing. Like, I thought that that when I started my career, I thought I was building stuff to last. Yeah. And it turns out that I'm not. And I've realized that I'm building stuff because I enjoy the building. And then I enjoy the people whilst I'm building it. I enjoy the teamwork of software. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I'm just really lucky. I like like the, the work that I do. So whether it lasts or not, I will try and build it to last because that, that's another part of me is like I want to do a good job and good job for me involves something that could last. But whether it does or not is almost so out of my hands, it's, it's almost silly to think that I could possibly influence that.
0: Well, I have tears in my eyes, by the way, over here. <laughs> I, I do, I do. I mean, it, 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 you know, that what you said was like, I thought I was building, you know, software that would last. And now I realize, you know, it's really about the journey and it's Mm. about the people. Could you pinpoint when that shifted for you in this journey or has it just been coming sort of along the way, you know, that you've been coming to that realization?
1: It's been coming along the way. Like I I look back at the sort of my email or like documents and stuff from Impulse Flyer days and I realized i had like five text files one for each person there was a period where there were five of us and there's one text file for each person and it was just like the random stuff that people said throughout the day that made us all laugh and i would just make a note of it and like that's my best takeaway from that whole company um Mm. and like house trip it's just it's the friendships i made whilst i was there like there are people who i work with there are people who i try and help out when they need a job or you know you put people in touch with with you know that you think might be good for them or you try and work with them again like it's it's sort of been coming and it all sort of com- uh you know culminated in the ideas that were in this talk like I was um it's something that I had become aware of over the next over the last you know few years I suppose and you know also having children and and I lost my father last year so there's there were there were lots of sort of adult things happening to me and, you know, I don't know if anyone realises this, but I'm, you know, only seven years old, really. So, mm-hmm. like, lots of these adult things were happening and I was trying to sort of form a coherent view of why was I doing all of these things and, like, why was I still able to enjoy my work if, like, all of this... If I was aware that the company was sort of going down. Like, why wasn't I trying to get on these new shiny things? And why did the one new shiny thing that I worked on, why wasn't I bothered when it crashed and burned? like? So it's just, it's sort of all come to a conclusion. And I think the talk that I did at RubyConf was a, a good expression of that coherent view, I think. Mm-hmm. I try and be more, I'm trying to get more coherent as I get older.
0: <laughs> Aren't we all? <laughs> Some of us are maybe doing better than others. Yeah, well,
1: you know, you can only try every day, can't you?
0: <laughs> For sure. It makes total sense to me that you said that given... Uh, because I saw I saw the talk live. Mm. I do believe the video is out now, so we'll make sure. And if it's not, it should be soon. We'll no, it,
1: it it is it out. Is. Um, I'm giving it in a couple of other conferences, so. Oh, good.
0: You, it, so folks will have a chance to. Make folks will exciting. have a chance
1: to see the live experience. The live experience,
0: <laughs> which is which is it was. I, I cried. I, I'm pretty sure I cried in the talk too. Uh, I'm really I'm, not sorry that about big that. of a. I'm not I'm sorry that about big that. of a crybaby. <laughs> I know. Thanks, Andy. Um, I, you're just ruining my reputation <laughs> here. Um, but thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing this. It was a pleasure. Um, I I really am so grateful you came on the show and I had this crazy idea and that you were willing to go along with it.
1: Absolute pleasure.
0: There's a siren.
1: <laughs> I see, I can't hear a siren. What,
0: what, what? <clears throat> okay, I'm imitating the siren. I just cannot... <laughs> hey, outtakes. Yeah, no, I,
1: I think this should go on the beginning of the podcast. I think that's fine.
0: <laughs> you should totally do outtakes for this show. Okay, here we go.